And there is a look at Glenn Foley. For more on him, let's check in with Armin Katayan. Armin. You know, Greg, you talk about the classic quarterbacks in the NFL, and Glenn Foley doesn't qualify at all. We Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Rewatch Month rumbles along. We take a look at one of the most thrilling overtime finishes in 49ers history. And with me this week to tell us precisely how to pronounce Mawae, it's Kevin It's Kevin. It's Kevin Newman, also known as David Newman, because Kevin Mawae is impossible for people on this broadcast to get right. I felt like I was taking crazy pills. There's no way it's Mawae. It's Kevin Mawai, right? Like, that's how I feel like it, it was. I pronounced it his entire career. And if that's wrong, there's a lot of things that I need to reevaluate here. I, well, this is a strong open to this pod because I'm looking it up right now. I've always known, I've always known it as Kevin Mawai. That's oh, how I've always pronounced it. It's I, M-A-W-A-E. Right. And it depends on whether or not his, uh, you know, his ethnicity, his lineage uh, is perhaps maybe Polynesian. Uh, that would definitely do it. We'll we'll look this up as we get through this. But boy, the announcers on this game, and of course we're talking about the 1998 game, uh, the overtime win, 49ers over the Jets, Garrison Hurst overtime run. Spoiler alert, I know, but at this point, it's been uh, it's been a while, so we expect you to have caught up at this point. According to the pronunciation guide on Pro Football Reference, it is Mawai. Well, they certainly didn't even say Mawai. Because they said uh, Mawa at Mawa. one point. Um, they said Mawa. They took... said my way. Oh, it was it was absolutely terrible. I mean, it may have taken what? How long we've we been doing this podcast? Eight years. I finally got one right. I finally yes, got. You did a get name one right. right. I'm gonna take this, you did. this victory lap right here. Man, this was we we fired up this game, and I was super excited about this game because this to me, like I remember vividly where I was when I watched. Garrison Hurst rumble down the sideline, Terrell and streak down and get that block. What looked like Joe Staley, but was really, yeah. but really wasn't. <laughs> but I see a seventy-four <laughs> streaking down the sideline, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, yeah, that is that is Joe Staley, but it was not. Um, you know, it, it's just it's it seemed like this. Oh man, this this game gave me all the feels of like a youthful 49ers fan when they were consistently battling for the division. You knew they were going to make the playoffs, and, and this game did not disappoint. No, it was, I mean, look, we've, we're fortunate as 49ers fans to have a lot of good old games to pick and, and go back and watch for this type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I feel like we've really picked some good ones here. I mean, these, these games have been very entertaining and like very fun to watch and have held up pretty well, I think. So if it's been a while since you've thought about this game, here's a quick rundown. The, the 49ers were coming off of a 13-3 and seven in 19, in 19, season in 1997 that ended with a loss in the NFC Championship game against the Packers, who would then go on to lose to the Broncos in the Super Bowl. Now, that season, 97, was, of course, the opening day was really, really bad. It was Niners' nightmare. It was Steve Young getting knocked out of the game with a concussion. It was losing Jerry Rice to a torn ACL when he gets twisted down by Warren Sapp. Uh, and Jerry Rice missed the entire 1997 season after suffering multiple knee injuries. He was held out of the preseason. And this game, this week one game, was the first live game since re-injuring his knee against Denver. The, the dude came back after tearing an ACL in the same season. Like, he tore his ACL in week one against Tampa Bay and, and played, I think that game in Denver was like week 10 or week 12 or something like that. Week 16. Um, and it was... Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was the last game of the season before the playoffs. And he came down, he caught a touchdown pass, came down on the knee yep. and fractured his kneecap. And that was the second injury to his knee, which is, is absurd. Absolutely absurd. But in the preseason, the talk for the 49ers was getting back to a wide open attack. And they were facing a Jets team, head coach by Bill Parcells, that went 9-7 and seven in their first season after going 1-15 and 15 the year prior. Um, and of course, the Jets were no slouch. They would go 12-4 and four on the year. Uh, and get to the AFC Championship game uh, and, and eventually lose to the Broncos. So it, it was a really uh, a back-and-forth contest uh, where neither team had two consecutive scores. They just kept throwing punches uh, back and forth over the course of the entire game, and the score differential was never greater than seven points. The Jets had a 24-17 to lead in the third quarter, but that was about it. Yeah, man, it was it was crazy to watch uh, them just kind of trade punches like that, like you mentioned. And, and we opened with not the best note for the 49ers. So you get 
Steve Young intercepted on the opening drive, kind of an ugly throw there. Um, and, and the Jets get set up with great field position. They're managed to turn that into a field goal to kind of get the opening points of the game. Um, but after you get a couple punts back and forth there, Young kind of starts getting to go a little bit, puts together a really great drive, had four throws on one drive with it that went for at least 15 yards, every single one of them to a different receiver. And they end up capping that drive with a touchdown. Um, Keyshawn Johnson, though, um, as, as we'll kind of get to, I mean, he's one of many players, you know, in a game, of course, like that have has this many points, had really a big game for them. Uh, he gets the Jets back on top, really uh, kind of made Merton Hanks look a little bit ugly on a post route to get behind him there for a touchdown. Um, and then over the final two minutes, you see, and, and this was, I think, the case both in the first half and the second half, you see teams, um, both teams put together good two minute drives, right? So get a little bit pass heavy, start throwing the ball a little bit more. Um, and you end up with, you know, two scoring drives, a scoring drive for each team there. And the jets take a three point lead into halftime. Um, and then as we get into the second half there, you get the 49ers tying things back up and then the star receivers are at it again. Right. So we get another Keyshawn Johnson touchdown this time, causing Antonio Langham to fall down and, and he gets behind him for a pretty easy score. And then rice gets his first touchdown, you know, post injury here, uh, taking a quick throw on a fourth and one pass, making a guy miss and getting in the end zone. So the offenses fall into a little bit of a lull for most of the fourth quarter, and we don't really get many points until a John Hall field goal extends the Jets' lead to four with about three and a half minutes to play. And then Steve Young does Steve Young things. He connects on two passes of 30 or more yards on the next 49ers drive. First, he finds Garrison Hurst deep down the left sideline for 35 yards to kick off the drive and then finds J.J. Stokes for a 31-yard score four plays later. I mean, really, that's how we pick the rewatch games. Wherever we can find a deep pass to a running back, just for David's (laughs) sake, we figured let's do it. Uh, And this game was no exception. The 49ers then take a 30-27 to lead, but the Jets get the ball back with 119 to play. They move down the field with some big-time conversions by Diedrich Ward, first on a 4th and 10, later on a 3rd and 10, moving the Jets into position for a 31-yard field goal to tie the game and send it to overtime. And unlike the 2002 wildcard game, they actually hit this field goal and send this game into overtime. Overtime opens with three straight punts before Garrison Hurst sends everyone home with a completely iconic walk-off 96-yard touchdown run. And, and really, it just it, it's the cherry on top of one hell of a game, one that I, I didn't even watching it now, I didn't think it was that fun. I thought it was kind of like a slog back and forth. And then it was just this pop at the end with a touchdown run. Right. But it was the entire game was really fun. I actually watched it with my wife. And at one point she sees Steve Mariucci on the sideline and she goes, I'm getting the uh, coach Taylor vibes from, uh, from old Mooch. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to lie. When you first brought the game up, I was a little worried that like, oh man, is, was it actually like a good game? And it just had this one moment, like, what are you about to make me watch here? And so I was like (laughs) a little concerned, you know, that it was going to be like a, a a lot of like not great football that led up to a, an excellent moment at the end of the game. But man, like this game was, was so much fun to watch. I think the, the coolest thing was like, there was a ton of passing. So, I mean, obviously you get a little bit of help from, from the overtime period there and a little bit of extra time to kind of put stats up. But you look at these teams combined over a thousand yards of total offense and seven, like more than 750 of that came through the air. Uh, they combined for over a hundred passing attempts. Like it was a, a very pass heavy, you know, it looked a little bit different than today's game, but uh, as far as, you know, teams being under center more and, and some of the things like that is as far as what they're doing offensively. But um, it was very much like a game that would fit in largely in, in today's NFL when you like take a look at that box score and you see how often they were putting the ball in the air. And so it was just, yeah, I, I thought it was a really fun game to watch start to finish. Yeah, multiple points throughout the game. It was really a two to one pass to run ratio. It, w- it seemed like it was pass, pass, run as opposed to run, run, pass, which is sometimes what you get during this era of games. But you also saw some really interesting throws or or interesting play calls with the Jets running a a throwback. They would roll out and then throw it back. Looked a little bit like the Shanahan leak play. You've got a little screen where Steve Young rolls out to the left and tries to throw a screen out to Hurst. And I can't tell because cameras in this this era seem to only want to put one person on screen at a time. (laughs) But but it looked like he had some green grass out in front of him if, if Steve Young's pass is not tipped. 
And, and so, I mean, there, there were still some really fun play calls too. One of which was both of which were not executed ultimately, but right. it seemed like the offensive coordinators were emptying the clip. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely some like uh, some entertaining moments. I was like um, a little like I, I didn't really remember the Jets' offense being this good. Uh, like they they had some good players. Well, I mean, Nick Glenn Foley, Foley or Glenn Foley? Was no, it Nick? Glenn Foley. See, you did the same thing that the <laughs> announcers on the on the broadcast did. They His name is Glenn Foley. Yeah, but they kept calling him Shane Foley. Shane Foley was a quarterback for USC. I'm not even sure that Shane Foley had a pro career, but they kept calling him Shane Foley and they kept messing his name up on the broadcast. And, and like, I, I literally, I literally, when he came on screen, I go, who? Like, oh I did God. not remember that guy even played football. And then they told the story about how like Mariucci also screwed up his name at like a press conference or something like that. So just the, the dude is not meant to have his name uh, spoken correctly, apparently. I mean, but- look, when, when you rock the black chin strap, when your team colors are green and white, you deserve all the slander that you get. <laughs> not, not the best look for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I think like, you know, you don't expect an offense like run by a quarterback whose name we can't even get right to like be all that good. But there were some, some pretty damn good skill position players on that Jets offense. I mean, Keyshawn, this was like, you know, really early, pretty early career Keyshawn, I think still, I think he was the number one pick in 95, if I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, like still pretty early on in his career and, and he was very good. Wayne Corbett, man, like had some huge moments in this game. Like dude was just a beast in the second half coming up with some clutch plays, uh, on the Niners side. I mean, obviously it was rice and rice was, was pretty solid in this game. I mean, you could definitely tell, that he was like a little tentative as far as uh, his movement. I feel like there was like a, a play before the end of the first half. I think it was um, that he makes a, a catch and rather than like looking to get up field, he's just like kind of beeline in it and like gimping a little bit to the sideline. And, and you just kind of see him like not wanting to get too involved and get contact on that right away. Um, but man, JJ Stokes had a better game in this game than I remembered was even possible from his career. Like I just didn't remember him being all that good. I do not have positive memories from J.J. Stokes' career. I remember largely a career of failure, of never living up to expectations. I mean, the dude was drafted 10th overall in the draft as Rice as Jerry Rice's successor in 1995. Did, did here's, like, I'm going to have to look it up, but it, did Jerry Rice get more yards than J.J. Stokes from the age of, like, 38 on than J.J. <laughs> Stokes had in his career? Like, his late era... Quasi balding cornrow Jerry Rice, a better wide receiver than JJ Stokes? I think the answer is yes. Oh, man. It might be. So he ended up with just shy of 4,300 yards in his career, JJ Stokes. JJ Stokes? Um, so we can, yeah. we can take a quick Jerry Rice rest. does that. Jerry Rice did that in like two and a half years when he was like 39, 40, and 41. Yeah. I mean, without like breaking the calculator out here, I would say that his age like if you basically from from 2000 so turn of the century jerry rice and on was real close to that number maybe you got the go niners could have too but yeah the niners could have drafted jerry rice in 2000 and he would have been <laughs> a, a better like jerry rice as is age in 2000 uh, than jj stokes but but for this game jj stokes was pretty amazing uh he had the one pass that i thought was for sure an interception where J.J. Stokes undercuts the, the route and ends up scoring a touchdown. Yep. That, that was, I mean, he plucked that ball out of the air. Uh, he made a really good adjustment in the end zone. I thought he had a, a really, really good game, and I'm glad he had one. <laughs> at least there was this way. If we, <laughs> we never watch another J.J. Stokes game, we at least won't be able to say that he never had a good game, right? Uh, yeah, if if a J.J. Stokes doesn't catch a pass and no one is there to see it, you know, it's like one of those things. <laughs> Oh God. Um, so I think the other thing that stood out, so like, I mean, the receivers on both sides really had a big game. I mean, even TO, this was like pretty young TO, uh, at this stage, like he made some good plays in this game. So, I mean, the receivers were just kind of like on point on both sides. Uh, Steve young though, had like this performance that was, I, I don't know, like it was, there, there were some bad moments, like from, from an accuracy standpoint, but there were also like other moments that I just had so much fun watching. And it was like, 
uh, seeing him navigate the pocket and how he dealt with pressure and just like the, the precision from a footwork and timing standpoint and just always like felt like he was under control and he was ready to throw the ball at any moment. And he just kind of like was ready to react to basically anything that was thrown at him when he was there in the pocket. Like that part was just fascinating to me to watch. Um, but like, yeah, missed a lot of throws, like especially early on sailing a lot of passes, uh, you know, overthrowing stuff and, and even continued on, like only ended up completing like 56% of his passes. So it wasn't like the cleanest performance from him, but was still like very fun at, at times. Yeah, the, the note that I have as I was rewatching the game was that he's very slippery. Like yeah. he, he doesn't look, uh, he looks like a modern quarterback looks now, but it was 1998. Like all of all the footwork, all the pocket technique, all the stepping up, all the mobility. It, I mean, he could play in today's NFL and he would so, wreck. Yep. He would absolutely wreck shot just from a, a mobility and athleticism standpoint. He was incredible. And, and yeah, it was a very uneven game. It was a very, very uneven game, but he still had some throws that were just wow. And some throws where you could tell he's throwing to a spot. One of my favorite stories from him from his autobiography is where he, he talked about how he unlocked really his performance in the West Coast offense. And it was really throwing blind to a spot. And he just had to trust the wide receiver was there. He had to trust the structure of the play. He had to trust everything was going to go the way the coaches had, you know, really built everything to go the way they had drilled to go. Yep. And he didn't have to see them open. And, and I feel like that, that touchdown to JJ Stokes where he throws it and there's all, all you see in frame is a jets defender. And you're like, Oh, this is going to get picked off. And then JJ Stokes streaks across the defender's face, catches the ball and it's six. And you're like, Holy shit. This is, this is amazing. It's so yeah. great. Oh man, that safety, that jet safety on that play. So this was like fairly late in the game, right? This was like a, a the fourth quarter touchdown or something like that. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. And this safety is, is really right there. Like he has the position he should at minimum contest this pass and, and like be able to make a play on it and break it up. Right. Like, um, but really it, it is set up for him to pick this off. You know, he's, he's got the, the, the position early on, like he, he would be able to hold off Stokes if he plays this well. And it, it really is young, just kind of like tossing up a jump ball and, and trusting that his guy's going to go up and, and make a play for it. Um, and this safety just misplays it so horribly. I mean, like if I was coaching that dude, like seriously, he would off the field and straight into the locker room, like just get the fuck out of my face. Like, I don't want to even look at you again. Um, I, I can't speak to your job security at this moment because I'm so pissed off with that play. But like, yeah, it, it was it was really ugly. But yeah, he had uh, I mean, the even the first touchdown I thought to Stokes was uh, a much better throw from Young's perspective, like was just again, timing was there fire like. Uh, the arm strength was significantly better than I feel like I remember with Steve Young. Like, oh yeah, was was there? Like, there were some throws that he had some zip on it. Like the the first Stokes touchdown was one of those. He had uh, another like cover two hole shot. So that kind of area along the sideline. Once the receiver clears the cornerback, who's kind of s- squatting in the flat and staying short. And before the safety who's deep and, and kind of coming over the top, there's that window along the sideline. Um, and it's really a throw that takes like a good amount of arm strength to make. You got to be able to kind of fire it in there before that safety can come down and close. Had one of those, like he actually missed it on the, the exact same throw early on. It was the first attempt to rice on like the second play from scrimmage. I think it was um, overthrew it out of bounds, but he came back to it later in the first quarter and just like put it right on the money to Owens uh, who got him down there, like kind of inside the five, I think and ended up scoring. So yeah, it, it, he had, he had some great throws. Um, honestly, one of the be- one of my favorite throws in that entire game was one that didn't end up a completion that throw late to rice deep along the oh, left yeah. sideline yeah, yeah. where rice doesn't get a second yeah. foot in. Oh my God, that was incredible. Yes. No, I mean, this is basically you've got a, uh, I I don't remember if it was a double move or what, but basically it's just Jerry Rice streaking down the sideline. Oh, I feel like it's a blitz where they sent someone off the edge and then Jerry Rice or uh, Steve Young just throws it up. And I mean, it's basically like, I'm going to throw it up down that sideline. And he did this a couple of times in the game where it's just like, I'm going to take that shot and I'm going to test what is this area because there's a lot of cover too. Yeah, in this era, a lot sure. of cover too. Uh, and I'm going to test that area. And yeah, Jerry Rice just can't get that second foot in. He gets one foot in yep. and he can't get that other foot in. And it was just, it was, it was a really, really good throw. Yeah. Dropped it right over the top. I mean, Rice was able to kind of get over and get, get the DB stacked. I think it was Aaron Glenn who, who was a pretty was solid corner. Yeah. I mean, he had some, some, decent he came off an all pro one. season 
Yeah. If, if we were to trust Greg Gumbel and Phil Sims, he had an all-pro season uh, the year before. <laughs> Which, dear God, Phil, I feel like also we've been pretty good in the announcing department with, you know, with some of these games we've watched. Uh, Phil Sims. Phil Sims is brutal. Just, nope. just not great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it, it, it was fun. I mean, Young, Young is a, a very fun player to watch. I mean, obviously, like one of, I mean, anybody that watched him, one of his fa- favorite 49ers. Um, and, and so going back and see, I mean, this was the second Young game that we've done. So we did the, uh, the championship game against the Cowboys, right? I think was our very first rewatch episode that we did last yeah, year. Yeah, the 94 game. Um, yep. Yeah, before before the Super Bowl there that they ended up winning with him. So, yeah, second game with Young, and, and it's just fun watching him play. Like, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, he's definitely a guy that I feel like easily steps into today's NFL and is still a great quarterback. Yeah, and with all the protections that today's NFL quarterbacks get, he I think he has a much longer career. Yeah. And and I think his counting stats are, are quite a bit higher. I mean, he's already a Hall of Famer, right? But, you know, it's like, how do, would we consider him easily among the top three if he didn't have his brain turned into mush by you know, Warren Sapp and Aeneas Williams and, and everyone else who seemingly yeah. got a free shot at him. Yeah. So there are other players that did not have such great games, though. Uh, one of them is Zach, and I want to give him the nickname uh, Action Bronson, uh, <laughs> Zach, because he seems to, I mean, we talked about him a little bit, too, in the 2002 rewatch, but Zach Bronson, man, he uh, second year as an undrafted free agent out of McNeese State, and uh, it might as well be McNope State. Because he did not have a good game, especially there in the fourth quarter against Diedrich Ward, who Diedrich Ward is is not a household name, I yeah. would say. Yeah, um, he's not someone that you think to yourself, "Oh yeah, I remember him being kind of good," um, or "I remember him having his moment." You know, like even Wayne Wayne Krebet, you're like, "Yeah, I remember yeah. him being kind of good." I, totally. I remember that guy, like you know, he was the the genesis of the shifty white slot guy. <laughs> and loved him on and, your fantasy team PPR, right? And just oh, all about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so you think to yourself, man, Diedrich Ward, uh, but here he is just getting roasted by this guy that, that history doesn't remember. Um, but, you know, I, I bet you that Zach Bronson does. He has wow. night sweats, night tears still. It was brutal. We, we may never, I mean, really, we should be thanking Zach Bronson because without some, some really crappy play down the stretch from, from Bronson, like we never get the Garrison Hurst run because they're up, right? So the, the, the Niners are up by three. Um, the Jets are trying to go down, send this game into overtime here, and they've got them. They've got them in these, like, you know, kind of do-or-die situations. So you first up get a fourth and 10. This is with 33 seconds left. The Jets are, like, at a uh, just about midfield or so, still in their own territory, but, like, get, getting closer to, to the 50-yard line there. Fourth and 10, man. Like, this is this is the, the end game right here if you come up big on this one. Gets beat on a corner route, gives up 22 yards, gets out of bounds quickly. Doesn't take a whole lot of time off the clock. Then, so you, okay, we're going to make, uh, we get, we got another set of downs here. They make another couple stops on first and second down. So you're at third and 10 now with 17 seconds left. And they go at it again. Beats him really badly on a slant route. Like, just gives up a ton of separation on this slant and takes a really crappy angle as he's, like, coming down to try to close on it and make a tackle. Like, ends up just running way out of the way and takes himself out of the play. That ends up as a 19-yard gain, and that's the one that really gets them into field goal range. That gets them into the 13-yard line. Um, and so at that point, they're just like, okay, we can take a shot at the end zone or so here, but we're already in pretty easy field goal range. And so it was like those those two plays right there um, make a stop on any one of them. Because if you even if you give up the first one, right, they were still far enough back, uh, at like the 32-yard line, I think it was, before the third and 10 play, where – a field goal from that range was definitely no gimme. Like John Hall, the Jets kicker at this time had already missed one from like 45, I think. Well, yeah, because the wind was whipping around in candlestick. And, yeah. and that's one thing that actually Levi's does take from its candlestick predecessors that the wind can whip around and just be really unpredictable. And, and it actually switched mid game because it was blowing the opposite direction and it switched. And that's why Mooch decided to defend the end zone that they did in, in overtime. Right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was dicey. Both field goal kickers were, were a little dicey this game. Yeah, so it was it was definitely no you're forcing them into at that point, you know, from the 32 you're at what a, a 49 50 yard field goal there. Um like that was yeah, no sure thing that they would have been able to convert that and um you know, with the wind conditions as they were in that game. So like you might have been able to get off the field at that point even if even after he gives up the fourth and 10 play, right? So yeah, just two like I mean, for the most part throughout the rest of this game like wasn't really a big factor one way or another. You know, I think they mentioned 
Uh, I didn't get a chance to go and confirm it, but it's, it sounded like the announcers were implying that like he only even was coming in late because of injury or something like that uh, in the secondary. So like wasn't even playing much the entire game. Just got put yeah, into you a had, bad spot and taken advantage of. You had Lance Schulters who was coming in, uh, who I think was, uh, he was either a rookie or very young that year. Yeah, he was drafted in the fourth round uh, in, in that draft. R.W. McCorders was a cornerback. He was yeah. a rookie. I mean, this was the end of the... Uh, the Merton Hanks kind of era, and and you've got, um, oh god, oh, oh yeah, Tim McDonald, still Tim McDonald, yep, yeah, and and he was also kind of aging out, although he laid a pretty wicked hit on someone in this game, and he was like, remember me, like I am, <laughs> I am still here, um, but but this was this was also the draft where the Forty ers drafted Fred Beasley, and you gotta love it, dude. That when was when was Beasley tradition. taken? He wasn't. I mean, at least it wasn't like William Floyd first round. In the first round. <laughs> No, he was drafted in the sixth round. All right. Uh, and, and yeah, McCorders in the first, Newberry in the second, um, and, and Lance Schulters in the fourth. But uh, yeah, it was definitely, I feel like, a, a bit of a changing of the guard when, when you, you think of where the Niners were here and then where they were in that 2002 game, um, which was really four years apart, right? Four or five years apart. And, and it was in that secondary largely very, very different. Yeah. Yeah, not, not the best secondary. I mean, we... We really kind of shit on the secondary in, in the last game there and kind of how bad they were for, for much of that. Uh, not a whole lot better. I mean, uh, gave up, what, over 400 yards and three touchdowns passing to uh, to Nick Foley. Glenn Foley. Can't even get his name right. I, that's why, that's why I went Foley. to Nick, I think, is because of Nick Foles. That's what I'm going to go with there. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, Glenn Foley. Uh, the legend grows as the podcast continues. My dude was a seventh-round draft pick. Pick 208 out of Boston College. He had a long career with the New York Jets from 94 to 98. So this was his last season with the Jets. (laughs) And then he had one season with the Seattle Seahawks before rounding out his career with the New Jersey Gladiators in 2002. He, uh, this, this may have been his moment where he went toe to toe with Steve Young and, and ended up getting more passing yards than Steve Young. Um, because yeah, this, this was his, he only played four games, uh, in the 1998 season. Uh, yeah. And, so and... that's what I was just looking at. It was like, who was their quarterback? And it was still, uh, Vinny Testaverde. So like Testaverde must've been hurt or something. Yeah. The announcers made it seem like, like this was an active choice. Like, he, <laughs> like it was something that they decided to do to go with Glenn Foley. But yeah, it was ultimately Vinny Testaverde because they would they made it to the playoffs and that was the team that the Jets or that was the quarterback the Jets relied on all year. So it must have been some kind of injury or something that was going on. But he played in, in five games, I think. Over, yeah, Foley went so as a starter went zero and three, and then Testaverde comes in and they go twelve and one um, and head into the playoffs into the uh, the AFC Championship. So uh, now that's a, so Lance Shelters or not Lance Shelters, but Zach Bronson had the basically the opposite game of Junior Bryant, who Junior Bryant still to me. You pair him next to Bryant Young, and I always love those two players together, like Junior Bryant, Bryant Young. It's like they yeah. share a name, and they're connected <laughs> by it. Um, but he had a, a pretty solid game. He had a run stop at the end of the first quarter. He had a sack on the Jets' first play in overtime, which was the Niners' first sack of the day. Uh, I tried to pay some special attention to Bryant Young just because he's not someone that you, know, you, you get a chance to see often, and he, I think, is a, a fantastic three technique and, and a really, really good defensive tackle. And, and Junior Bryant was the person who kept flashing. He kept getting some pressures. He kept getting his nose in the run game. Um, you know, he, he's not someone that you would necessarily say is going to be remembered as like one of those like super great players. But, you know, much like some of the other players we've talked about, hey, at least in this game, he had his game. I would say I will probably always remember him because of that name connection with Brian oh, yeah. Young for no other reason. Like, yeah, it was just always I loved playing with them in Madden. Um, like it was always great. But uh yeah like they had a their defensive line there for quite a while like always had some pretty good players on it like especially with uh you know I mean anytime as long as Bryant Young was there like they were obviously good on the interior um but they always yeah seemed to like find it was always like a very veteran group I feel like they had you know a lot of guys like kind of towards the end of their career like Chris Dolman stuff like that um you know that, that would always find their way to San Francisco it felt like but yeah, like you said, at least for this game, Junior Bryant definitely had had some flashes and, and some pretty good moments. But then we get to overtime, the game that really puts this game in, in one of the top areas of 49ers history, and that's the, the run play from Garrison Hurst. And the play is 90-0. It is a gap scheme run from an old school West Coast offense 
far formation. And interestingly enough, when the play call comes in, Steve Young is lobbying for a pass play. And when he gets the pass play in, he, he screams, are you kidding? Because he wants to throw the ball from the four-yard line to get out from, from under. And Steve Mariucci is like, we just have to get some breathing room. We have to get some more some, some space. Once we get to like the 15, maybe the 20, that's when things can start to open up. And, and so Mooch was thinking, man, we need just a few yards. We need maybe five, seven yards. And, and so we're going to call this run a run that hadn't been super successful up to then. They had called it twice before in the game for a total of 10 yards. Which I mean, five yards a run, not terrible, sure. um, but but certainly not. Um, you know, I think this this ninety six yards really upped the average uh, <laughs> on on the run. Just a little bit, yeah. I mean, as as you like, those runs always stand out. I think when you get in those like um, old school West Coast offense type formations, right? Like the pro sets, the near far sets, where you've got basically both backs at the same depth in the backfield both in three-point stances usually right so you always kind of like it's so jarring because you you never get those formations in today's game that when you see them they, they really stick out and they tend to do a lot of the gap scheme stuff out of that which is you know we're, we're talking about like pullers right so you're you're getting a lot of down blocks on the play side usually pulling guys from the back side and kind of creating those angles um, and so that was not a type of run like throughout the game that they had a ton of success with. Usually the ones where you would see Hearst kind of break off a nice chunk of yardage were when they would get into more kind of traditional like eye sets, single back sets where you get Hearst as like a deep halfback, right? Like in, in kind of a more uh, traditional spot that we would expect them if they're lining up under center today and get kind of more of those downhill, like inside zone type runs. Like those were the ones he had. Uh, a lot of success with throughout this game. And so it was funny to see like them go back to this gap scheme run that hadn't really been working all that well throughout most of the, the contest and then just have it break for, for a huge game. Yeah. So Bob McKittrick, the, the just absolute general of the, the offensive line that he coached there in San Francisco for such a long time. He, he says that you quote, make eight to 10 yards on that play. If everything works right. I'm looking for five yards, and instead they got 96. Uh, and this is something that he chucked up to perfect execution, which is interesting because I don't know that Bob McKittrick, <laughs> uh, if he looked at that play, would say, yeah, that was perfectly executed. Uh, Bob McKittrick knows a ton. He's, he's the guy, if you're not familiar with McKittrick and you're a Niner fan, maybe you're a new Niner fan or something like that, but he's someone you should read up on. He is basically the one of the foundational pieces of the 49ers championship runs because he's what allowed the Niners to get to not spend a lot of resources on offensive linemen and get younger, lighter, cheaper offensive linemen so they could spend their money on skill positions. And he coached them incredibly well. He's the Dante Scarnecchia uh, of the Niners really run. If you're familiar with the, the Patriots offensive line coach. And, and so, yeah, he, he's such a great dude, but yeah, it's, it's definitely um, not perfect execution. I think if you, if you rolled the tape back, it was, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's one that obviously you're very happy with the end result, but I bet he was coaching those guys up in the film room, like, uh, in, in the O-line meeting, you know, on, on Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever it was, because yeah, there, there were definitely a few blocks there, um, that didn't go so well. I mean, don't get me wrong. Anytime that you're going to have that kind of play, like you're, you're going to have some good blocks in there. And I think that was definitely the case here, but you look at it, some blocks that, and this is one that will go, if you're a Patreon subscriber, we're definitely going to break this play down in, in the video that we'll post up there. And so you can kind of get a little bit more of a visual element with it. But I think both tackles on this play really end up missing their blocks. So you have the backside tackle, which is left tackle, Dave Fiore in this case. Um, he doesn't get up and cut off his linebacker that he's trying to work to. So that linebacker ends up making his way to, to Hurst in the hole there. And then the right tackle is actually trying to get up on a safety that's coming down to the second level. So he's kind of like coming up in the box late in the play. He's trying to get up and get a piece of him at the second level, just completely whiffs on that block. And so you have these two players, a safety and linebacker converge on Hurst right as he's getting through the hole, like, and they're making contact with him at about three, four yards. Right. So, um, really could have been shut down, um, for a pretty minimal gain on this, but Hurst is able to make both those guys miss. And then you get out into the open field and it's just, you know, another, another story because Hurst is going to make a couple guys miss there. You're getting some great effort downfield blocks, you know, from TO and, and Lyman hustling downfield, but it was definitely a play from, 
the design standpoint, like that could have been shut down before it got anywhere if it wasn't for a great play from Hurst. It's a great individual play from Garrison Hurst, really, because he and the thing that made it iconic for me was the stiff arm where he yep. just absolutely dribbled a dude <laughs> like the guy bounces off of the ground quite a bit. Like it looks dangerous for him to hit the ground and bounce that high back up. And, and, and Garrison Hurst just continues to run and he, he breaks what four tackles on that play all told. Yeah. Um, so. The two near the line of scrimmage, the one uh, the, the one where he stiff arms and then near the end where he's just got a convoy. I mean, you see Terrell Owens streaking down the sideline to, to make that block. And, and it's just, it's awesome. It's such a fantastic run. It was, it was so, so good. I was jumping up and down seeing that run happen. Uh, and it was a hell of a way to open up the season, especially considering the year before the season opener was just not good. You know, you got players going down, you've got quarterbacks with concussions. You're, you're, you're dreading now like, Oh God, season openers. And then all of a sudden here you are. It's funny because uh, Hurst has like some Frank Gore like qualities in terms of uh, breakaways. He's not my breakaway dude. No, <laughs> uh, and so you're not exactly expecting this play, and like the whole time you're watching it, you're just ready. I mean, he looks by the time he crosses midfield, like dude looks gassed, like he's just rumbling along, like there is no speed and grace in his movement at all at that point. Like he's just trying to get there, uh, and yeah, the, I mean the the blocks from To To takes out two guys on this play. Like hustles, yeah. hustles down there, cuts off um, what looks like a, a D lineman, honestly. Number 98, I have no idea who it is, either an outside linebacker or, or D end or something like that that's running down there. Completely cuts him off and takes him out of the play and then comes off that block to get a piece of Aaron Glenn late who, who was almost in position to be able to cut him off right before the goal line. Uh, well, the so, thing yeah. that gets me is at the very end, too, you see the person who ends up catching him, you see him begin to tomahawk chop. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. don't fumble this ball. Like, there's a moment of panic right at the end where I'm like, hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball. And he does, <laughs> and he just collapses into the end zone. And immediately, the ref, who props to the ref, by the way, I don't know what this referee's exercise regimen is, but he is running <laughs> step for step with Garrison Hurst the whole way down the sideline. And he is there at the pylon as Hurst crosses the goal line and immediately puts his hands up. Like, congratulations to you, referee. I don't know that they make them like you anymore. (laughs) It really is a perfect way to calibrate Hurst's speed. (laughs) Because it's... (laughs) It's like... I mean, on one hand, yeah, for sure. Props to that ref for for sticking up. I mean, dude is busting ass to try to keep up. And he's like... You know, at the time Hurst is is getting contacted there and falling to the ground at about the four or five yard line, you know, he's like a step or two behind him, um, which is pretty damn good. But uh, yeah, Hurst not exactly blazing speed on this, but man, he, he got it done. Yeah, this was before the era of referee bulk. I don't know if, if he had Hockley's arms, if he'd be running down at that speed, you know, he'd get too much drag from the triceps. Runner's body for sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little little jiggly. But this this was the beginning of a, a fantastic season for the 49ers. I mean, you look at the aftermath of the game. The 49ers ended the season 12 and 4, second place in the NFC West. 12 and 4, you're thinking to yourself, "Holy shit. 12 and 4, second place?" Yeah, that's because the the Atlanta the Atlanta Falcons, the Dirty Bird, oh, 14 right. and 2. Yeah. This was the this was the uh that year where they ended up making the Super Bowl. Uh the Niners ended up second in the NFC West. And they faced Green Bay in the wild card game. And of course, that game was the catch too. This was Steve Young throwing that dart to Terrell Owens where he leaves the field crying uh, that we know is the catch too. But this was that year. And then they make it to the divisional round against Atlanta, a team they had split the season series with. And on the first play for the, the first offensive play for the 49ers, they lose Garrison Hurst to the Madden curse. He was the first cover athlete for Madden. And in the divisional game, he breaks his ankle. Oh, man. This was, was the beginning of the Madden curse. Yeah, he broke it on that turf, which, I mean, yeah. to call AstroTurf turf is, is almost, it's, it really is a misnomer. It's concrete. <laughs> it's concrete with a rug on it. And that's what the, the, uh, the Atlanta Superdome was. And, and that's where Garrison Hurst basically left little chunks of his ankle. That's where, didn't Bryant Young got hurt? He had his bad injury, bad leg break in Atlanta as well on that turf, didn't he? I don't remember that. I remember that Bryant Young's injury was a helmet going through both of his shin bones, the yeah, tibia dude, and the fibula. Dude's leg was an L. 
like after whatever happened and it was yeah i i remember there's like a few injuries from when i was younger that just like really stood out like that is definitely one of them seeing that the the napoleon mccallum knee injury on monday night football the raiders game that rice uh rice had like the three touchdowns or something in that game and that's when he set the record for yeah. career touchdowns i want to say um, but in that game, you had like the Ken Norton helmet on that Oakland running back's knee that popped it backwards. Oh, um, I no, no, ooh, no. yeah. So there's a couple of them that that really like stick with you that are that are pretty gruesome. And and the Bryant Young one was one of them. It was in a playoff game too. Uh, I swear it was against the Falcons, but I can't remember for sure. So whatever. Well, Garrison Hurst, he had 1,570 rushing yards that year. They were the most in franchise history until Frank Gore broke that record in 2006 Steve Young in this year 1998 he led the NFL in touchdown passes with 36 touchdown passes that is still the record for most touchdowns for the 49ers in a single season he threw a touchdown on seven percent of his passes that's a pretty good rate that's a really really good rate (laughs) for comparison Peyton Manning's record 55 touchdown season he is his touchdown rate was 8.3 percent so I mean Steve Young was throwing darts and he was throwing touchdowns all year i think this year was steve young's last and best chance to get a ring i think even if he would have come back and not retired in 99 i i have to believe that part of why he retired in 99 was because he looked at the state of the team and was like i, I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of them I mean, jerry rice was kind of on the way out and, and and i think that this was his last best chance and i mean they lost against atlanta 18 to 20 they had scored a touchdown at two-point conversion late and, and Steve Young kind of heaves a desperation pass that ultimately gets picked off. But there was a chance there to win that game. And, and I'd be interested to see what would have happened to, uh, to Elway if it's the Niners they face in that Super Bowl. That, that would have been fun uh, to get to see them go against you know Elway again. Because obviously the first time that Elway ran into the Montana Niners didn't quite go so well. Um, no. but yeah, would have, would have been interesting to see those teams. Cause obviously there would have been a lot of connection there as far as, uh, Mike Shanahan and, and him being on the Niners during their last Super Bowl in 94 there. And, and now running the Broncos in 98, like, yeah, there would have been a lot of, a lot of great things about that matchup that would have been fun to see. It was the giants where, uh, Brian Young broke his leg. Oh, okay. Yeah. I must just be conflating the two then, uh, the, the Hearst one in that one. Yeah. But l- l- random thoughts from the game. As you're watching the game, what are some things that you thought to yourself, you know, what what the hell, David? What's going on here? Dude, so there there was uh, there were two plays that really stood out. I feel like there were probably other ones where, where this kind of, like, line of thinking would fit in as well. But there were two plays that really stood out where you just had some absolutely horrendous situational awareness from some of the players in this game. So uh, the first one was on that Jets two-minute drive at the end of the first half. Um, Wayne Corbett ends up capping that drive with like a six-yard touchdown catch. Um, and on that play, the cornerback covering him in man coverage, Darnell Walker, the dude is starting. So again, they're at the six-yard line here. The dude is starting basically at, at like the goal line, one-yard one line goal line, playing super off, way hard inside leverage and then is backpedaling super hard at the snap. So by the time that Corbett makes his break, which was like this quick little out route, um, dude is like three yards deep in the end zone. Like, what are you doing? Like you, you have to get up and be closer to this guy or you're just giving up free points underneath you. Um, uh, the exact same thing happened on the rice touchdown the other way. Right. So the rice touchdown was like this quick sprint out throw to the left, Rice was in the slot, basically like a one step out running right at, right at the sticks, right um, on fourth and one here. And both Jets cornerbacks on that side are also like playing crazy off, playing like eight, 10 yards off the ball and it's fourth and one. It's like, what are you doing? Like, I, I just can't even fathom like why that would happen. And so like, yeah, there, there was some like definite moments in this game where I'm like, players are just players and coaches are just so much smarter now, like across the board, like the average coach and average player is so much smarter now than they used to be. Yeah. I think you can say that across the board for, for lots of, lots of things like just the way that, that fans watch the game now, I think is very different than people watch the game in, in 98, 99. There's a lot of things that I think we catch now that, that we did not catch before. 
Um, my one of my things that I noticed was that the breathe right strip game was tight for lots of players in this game. I mean, Garrison Hurst rocking that breathe right strip. Yeah, Terrell Owens also had one as well. Uh, and, and Garrison Hurst also rocked the face mask with the bars uh, right near the eyes. Yep. That is absolutely the face mask that I used when I played football, specifically because of Garrison Hurst. And I played running back. And so I felt like, you know, it was, you had to, you had to rock the Hurst face mask. I did not rock a breathe right strip because I didn't see how that was going to help putting a sticker on my nose. But it, it definitely, uh, from what I hear, those things work great. I've, I've just never needed one. Yeah, I, I definitely had some moments. It, this was more when I was, I think this was even before high school, like, you know, Pop Warner age football. Definitely rocked a breathe right strip for, for a little bit there. Um, also had that same face mask. Uh, and I did I definitely shouldn't have had it because, like, I was playing quarterback at the time. Like, needed that vision <laughs> yeah. open. Visibility. Yeah, like, whatever, man. I'm, I'm, I'm here to look cool, all right? I don't care about that shit. Um, no, the other thing, the, the next thing for me that stood out, which was kind of a, a bummer because I have such fond memories of Merton Hanks, dude was getting roasted constantly in this well this game. was late career i mean to be fair to his credit this is late sure. era merton hanks this is not 1994 i'm picking off you know two he had two interceptions in that championship game or something like that yeah i mean this is this is you know we're, we're looking at the tail end of hanks's career okay yeah his oh so his last season was 99 all right this was his last 98 was his last season with the niners age 30 back when back in the days when 30 he just fell off a cliff apparently um but yeah, like, so I mentioned like in the, in the recap where the first Keyshawn Johnson touchdown, he gets behind him playing cover two over that side and, and Hanks is just gets completely lost, um, and, and allows Keyshawn behind him. And there were probably, I think three, four other plays in this game where he's like very clearly locked on somebody and just like desperately trying to keep up on some downfield route, but has given up like several steps of separation uh, and gets bailed out by bad throws by fully just like overthrowing it or missing it or something like that. But I mean, like dude could have given up probably 200 yards in coverage if, if he was getting accurate throws into that stuff. So it was just like, yeah, that it, it was, it's hard in a lot of ways to like, really look at it coverage on a play to play basis. Like with this coverage that we're or like the film that we're getting the broadcast angles and everything there and no all 22, but in the, it felt like every moment that you could get a good look at it, it was Merton Hanks being bad. Yeah, it, it was definitely not a good look from a dude. Um, it, it was rough, but you know, everyone has a decline at some point, And this unfortunately was his, um, <laughs> You know, for me, I, I look at some of the other stuff that happened in this game, and the the moment the broadcast started, I was like, these names are immediately amazing. You've got Pepper Johnson, Anthony Pleasant, who I just think the idea of someone with a name like Pleasant playing an aggressive position in football is always just so funny to me. Um, you've got Wade Ritchie, who I always knew was wide Ritchie because his his accuracy was abysmal. It was uh... like, I love that he... They had a little segment on him on the broadcast where they were like, yeah, you know, he, was, he nailed a 54-yard field goal at LSU, and he has a really, really strong leg, but he was only like 8 of 24. And I was yeah. like, my dude was like 8 of 24? And, like, and they're like, oh, but the, the, the special teams coach thinks it's just a couple of technique issues. And this was like right before after he misses a field goal. And oh it's just like, God. no, I'm sorry. That's like, that, why? I was absolutely not... beside myself during that part of the broadcast. I was just like, are you shitting me? How does this guy that couldn't even hit 50% of his college kicks like getting into the NFL right now? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was definitely it was <laughs> wide, wide Richie. And then you've got Brian Young Jr. Brian, which we've already talked about. But then one of my favorite names to say when I was younger, a Niner, Ahani Uwezike. Great one. Holy hell. I love that name. And then, of course, you've got Kevin what I now know is Mawe, but I get I guess it, I always thought it was Mawai. But Mawai. It's Mawai is the right one. Mawai, it's not my way, unlike Usher. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not Mawa. It's it's Mawe. Uh yeah. Let, that's it's definitely some fun, fun names in this game. I mean, staying with kickers here for a moment. John Hall. <laughs> And that just fucking ridiculous. If if I basically, if you're like, who's John Hall? And you actually were watching football during this period, right? Um, and I just said it was the stupid helmet trim strap guy. Like, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, the dude would just take his helmet 
and like it was basically like somebody had face masked it and tried to put his face mask down in his throat and he just left his helmet that way like the so the top of the helmet's like coming down like almost covering his eyes the face mask is way down by the chin and so he ends up with a chin strap that's like on his throat and it's just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you look ridiculous. Like, this is absurd. There's no way this is comfortable. Like, what are, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Incidentally, fact check. Merton Hanks had zero interceptions in 94. Uh, it was Eric Davis that had two interceptions. And then Deion Sanders had one. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but my other question about this game is, has anyone ever seen Lee Woodall and Evander Holyfield in the same place at the same time? I'm still convinced that those two people are the same human. And that Evander Holyfield just continued his sporting career as Lee Woodall, and, you know, it's a perfect ruse because he's got a helmet on, so, you know, people don't make the association. He's got a neck roll on, so people can't see the body type. Those dudes look identical. Identical. Trust me. Google it right now. Lee Woodall, Evander Holyfield. The only thing, like, just check his ear. Check his ear is all I'm saying. The the Lee Woodall neck roll. Uh, was talking about this the other day uh, with a couple of dudes at PFF when, and some stuff that we were watching there, and there was a linebacker in one of the plays that we were looking at that still had a neck roll. This was taped from last year, 2019, neck roll linebacker. And we are just like, that is a dead giveaway that just says, please throw the ball at me. I can't cover anything. <laughs> like, just a dead target on your back. Like, oh, my God, I'm begging to give up yards in the passing game. I can't even turn my head. You know, so Pop Warner is where, you know, you really explore yourself as a, as a football <laughs> player. And, and I had a neck roll for a bit because I played oh, no. running back and I also played linebacker. And I had a neck roll that I could never actually keep up near my neck. Like the installation was already kind of rough. But, when, but whenever I actually did keep it near my neck, I found it so restrictive. Like I couldn't move my head. Yes. Yes. And so I literally mid practice ripped it off and just tore it off and just threw it and said, you know what? Oh Fuck God. this. This is stupid. Oh man. I, I am so glad I, I messed with the breathe right strips, tried a lot of things as far as football gear. I am yeah, very you know, happy you figure out. that I never messed with the neck roll because that's absurd. <laughs> uh, and then the really the last thing I had is the, the 49ers hit a big play on a fullback wheel route because of course they did. doesn't matter what area you go to fullback nope. wheel routes are apparently in the playbook. There is a direct line, a direct line from this team to Kyle Shanahan. And it's yeah. just a taut tight string and it's tied right through the fullback and it's like a fullback and it's in the shape of a wheel route. And it's going to connect 49ers teams across eras. It's a consistent thing. There are tweener linebackers in Pittsburgh, and there are fullback wheel routes in San Francisco. God damn it. Oh that is the God. thing that defines 49ers offense. Get used to it, David Newman. Pay the fullback. I already forgot. His, oh, Mark Edwards. I, I was like, man, I already forgot who this fullback was. Oh, yeah. which another like random name that I didn't even have any recollection that was on the 49ers. Irv Smith was their tight end who yep. his son uh, is now playing in the NFL, Arsenal played team. at Alabama, is, uh, I think, in his, what, he been two years at Minnesota now, entering his second year, one of those two. Um, but, yeah. That does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. And we will have video breakdowns of some of the plays that we discussed on our Patreon, so you can go to our Patreon and sign up and take a look at those videos. That is patreon.com forward slash better rivals we're going to have all of our rewatch videos as well as some draft scouting reports in case you missed those so make sure that you go on there and check those out thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners